I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science to let them and talk Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF PTF, I think, is probably somewhere in Brooklyn uh, You know, uh, getting his hipster on He's excited about the Brooklyn Nets And, you know, Kanye, Kyrie oh, Had about enough of that guy I actually like his game, but geez, he's driving me nuts And then James Harden And then, of course, the greatest basketball player ever Kevin Durant, hook him horns I think Pete's excited about that, and then he's, you know, he's talking about gremoladas. He sent some picture of a short rib, braised short rib ragu topped with gremolata. I have no idea. The only thing I know is short rib, and I think ragu is like some sauce that you can get it at the grocery store. Anyways, sorry for that. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin, JK Plus One, and I'm excited. We, we, we had a little earlier... Uh, in in the week we had a, a an episode come out, but in honor of Pegasus Week, brought uh, brought to you by First and and, and the Stronic Group. I, I'm trying to figure that whole thing out. I think it's just I think it's both. I think it's First, I think it's Stronic Group. I, whatever it is, what it is. So I say both, and I'm, I know I'm in the clear. Uh, I'm excited to have a guest on that I wanted to have on for a long time, and uh, obviously a busy week for this person. So I only got him for an hour, but I, I think that it was a pleasant experience, and I'm hoping to snag him again in the future but one of the things I was really excited about is I I think in this game our racetrack operators from time to time can sometimes at least appear a little bit disconnected from us the horse players Um, if you're not a horse player and I was referring to you sorry about that I was talking about me and and I think a base of this audience is horse players. And so I, I wanted to point out uh, that there is a racetrack, a racetrack operator that, that, that does have a background in, in betting and does understand the importance of that customer base. And um, this person is, is in charge of, of racing in a very important, you know, situation in, in, in America when it comes to Gulfstream and, and, and the Maryland tracks and, and Santa Anita. So I was excited at the opportunity to get Aiden Butler on to talk a little bit about his background, to talk a little bit about um, his role at uh, first in the, in the Stronic group and also to, uh, to, to kind of introduce some of, uh, some of you guys to him that, that might not have know a lot about Aiden. And, and I was, uh, I actually mentioned it <laughs> in our interview. Like the first time I saw Aiden and I was like, who's, who's this guy with, with a hat running around, uh, like he's in charge. And I soon found out who he was and, and I'm, and I'm glad that I know who he is. Um, he, uh, I've, I've messaged him a handful of times about issues and he always gives me good feedback on, on, on the, how they're going to try to get it resolved. And, and he's, uh, he's, I, I think that racing is better having Aiden in it. And, and I'm glad that you guys will get a nice little sneak peek into Aiden if you're, if you're not, uh, familiar. So, um, short episode, I'm talking a lot. I'll stop. Here's Aiden. What's up brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. A busy week for you guys with the Pegasus coming up. Uh, are you in California or are you in Florida? No, I'm in Florida now. I'm officially a Floridian. I'm a Florida resident, but uh, living out of a hotel, so I'm not exactly set up, but um, lots of stuff to do. There you go. I, I, I will say the first time that I met you, I believe it was in the Eddie Logan suite, 
I was wondering who is this person, Astronic Group hired, that sounds <laughs> like a uh, sounds like a Bond villain. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I got a lot of that when I got out there. And I, I, not as much now, but I'm sure some people still are wondering who the hell I am. But yeah, that was that was, seems like an eternity ago, dude. It does. It does. I mean, time flies. I mean, obviously, you've been pretty busy. Uh, you're pre- pretty busy in California. You know, it's it's crazy. It feels like one of those presidencies, you know, you walk into and it's like <laughs> the whole world's falling apart. You know, you had to deal with the uh, with the horse welfare stuff out there. And then obviously the, the covid thing, um, both, in you know, in which are, are, are situations you wouldn't really wish on your on, on an enemy no, to have to deal with. Absolutely right? not. Absolutely not. It's a um, I've said it a couple of times. Anyone who's having to look the whole planet. You just got everyone's got to take it easy on each other at the moment, right? Everybody's going through something, um, some worse than others. And I think we've, um, from our side, we're a little bit blessed as much as we've put up with a hell of a lot of stuff. We're a little blessed that we can at least keep running. So many, so many businesses got knocked out during this time. So, um, it, but looking back on it it, it, it was it was a lot, right? It was a lot to deal with. But it's just, I guess, it's a you know, testament to our game and the people in it that we're hardy enough to be able to to keep trucking along. I mean, there aren't many, I don't think there's many industries that could have taken so many punches and still been, uh, you know, still been having podcasts and talking about who's going to win the Pegasus. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've always said as a, as a horse player first, and obviously with my kind of with this media thing, I, I've become a little bit more involved on the other side, but I still consider myself a horse player first. I've always thought that one of the issues we've had in racing is that there's a bunch of people at the top that don't understand what, what to me is, which is the one in one a of the most important parts of the game, which is the owners and the betters. And I was relieved to hear that uh, you're a third generation bookmaker and right. And that makes me, makes me feel very comfortable to know that you understand that part of the game how important well, you know i is you that? know i've lost my you know i've lost my money on multiple occasions that's why it gives you comfort so you know how I, you know i feel feel what everybody's going through oh absolutely that's that you know <laughs> you, you can't uh, you can't relate if you haven't been in the trenches exactly brother, exactly yeah so um third generation race course bookie grandfather was a was an on-course bookie so in england as you're probably aware but some of the some of the viewers might not be we have kind of we have betting shops, which are the equivalent of OTBs, um, and they're independently owned. And then we have the actual bookies at the track that form the market. So the odds that the independent betting offices use are, are kind of formulated by the um, by the bookies at the track. It changed when betting exchanges around, but that was how it was when I was there. And Granddad was a bookie you know, before bookies were legal in England, and then was one of the first to actually get a license. Um, dad and uncle uh, were race course bookies, but also had they had like eleven betting shops, so that's uh, equivalent of like eleven OTBs around the Midlands, around Birmingham. Um, and then when I grew up, it was just um, it was me and my brother, and it was decided that I was the the most li- I was the ugliest and the most likely to be good at math. So he became a musician, and I uh, I became a bookie. So yeah, I started rapping for my father at the age of eighteen. You can uh, before you get a bookmaker's license, you can be a representative. So yeah, I did about we had about thirty three pitches. So I travelled about three or four days a week up and down the country to about thirty thirty five uh, racetracks. So I kind I know that like the back of my hand, and it really it does help when 
you know, you've got to understand how our game's funded. It's funded by the owners and the gamblers, right? So if you if, if you don't take into account the what they need, and it, it's easy to re- reconcile in your mind. It's just what is the customer service aspect? As managers of a track and managers of horse racing, what is it our customers need? And that, if you use that mindset, it's a little easier to, to deal with criticism. Um, as you look, me and you are, you know, me and you are pals, but like you call me up and say, Hey, Aid, what the hell's going on with this? And I'll dig into it and I never take it, never take it to heart. I try and get it fixed. And if some stuff is, I'm sure everyone's aware, isn't easy to fix, it's a complex game, but um, we've got to get better, we've got to evolve. And for years, I think we've had the uh, you know, had it to ourselves, it's just kind of been a monopoly as far as wagering is concerned. That ain't the case anymore, so we've either got to ship up or we could be in. Be in trouble. So yeah, I I kind of uh I know it well. I play a lot. I mean, me and Nate. I mean, some of the some of the fun bets me and Nate get into are good. But no, yeah, I I love the game. I, I gamble on the game. I was a bookie specifically on horse racing. Um, and I think you know it, it's good for all of us in management to learn the stuff we're not comfortable with. Like I, my piece is the is the kind of the horse piece, right? I got to the track. I was um, you know, I think as probably as knowledgeable, especially with regards to fixed odds as as most in the game in America. And when I looked at uh, the horse piece, I'm like, I really don't have much of a clue. So I've spent my time, you know, adopting thoroughbreds, riding, you know, dealing with the vet's bills. So I try to learn that side of it. Uh, so I can kind of be well-rounded so I can understand what everybody's going through. But um, yeah, it is, uh, I'm, I'm lucky because I love what I do. And even if I didn't do what I did, I'd still be trying to smash a pick six on the weekend. What's the day in the life of a fixed odds bookmaker? I mean, are you are you are you setting the line the day before, three days out? Yeah. How well, do you know? So, so we used to basically pay guys called for they call form students, and they are they are guys who write the line. They look at it the early prices, and as you know, in when you're doing fixed odds early, it's such a fluctuating market because you're going to make so many mistakes that you spend the the early part of the morning what we call knocking people back. So that's uh, somebody rings up and wants a thousand pounds or a thousand bucks in your money. And you know, you've made a huge mistake. So that thousand bucks becomes 50. And then you have to try the early arbitrage and find out who else is offering uh, early morning prices as we call them. So you can balance your books. So there's a lot of work in, in, in a fluctuating, a kind of a fluctuating market, you know, a lot of fixed odds betting, like, you know, uh, American football or baseball, they don't really, you know, they don't really flip-flop a lot, right? You know, they set the line. It can drift if they're getting hammered, but it's generally pretty static, whereas that's the total opposite when it comes to something like horse racing. So in the mornings, um, there was a hell of a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on uh, and, you know, a lot of big bookies, but sometimes a lot of the small bookies looking for their, uh, you know, using their opinion in the market to try and work out what the line would set. Now, that all changed when Betfair, and the betting exchange, you know, what's Betfair and BetDAC um, became kind of visible to the public because now all of that early trade could be done in the markets. If somebody made a mistake, it'd be it'd be dealt with really early on. So by the time the bookies got to the track, uh, they had a pretty good idea of what was going to be favouring and how that thing had, you know, it would uh, kind of lay out. And I can't help but think when you're talking about all this fixed odds, bookmaker stuff, 
um, I have to bring up one of my favorite shows, Peaky Blinders. I know it, I know your version of it was not like that, but no. um, but that but, was yeah. was a good show though. If you if you but want to know more about fixed odds betting and on track bookmaking watch, before yeah. it was legal, that was a good way to go. Well, I always say to people if they come and work for the firm, if if they're having trouble understanding my accent, just watch that show. Obviously, I'm from I'm from Birmingham. Um, so was my dad and my granddad. So at the time of that show, my granddad was a was a was a bookie in Birmingham. So it's kind of funny. Would I would wish he would have been alive because I'd love to have checked, uh, you know, checked it out and asked him what it was really like. But the uh, my dad always, uh, my dad's eighty six himself, right? So my dad always gets a little frustrated. That never, you know, criticizing the storyline. That never happened. And you know, there were, he comes up with some funny ones. There were never that many glamorous people in Birmingham. But yeah, no, it was a. Uh, it's definitely um, if you if you need to understand my accent, that's definitely the show to watch. It's where I'm from. <laughs> that's the best. So obviously it's Pegasus week. Um, yeah. The first Pegasus, I wasn't there. I was in Vegas for the NHC, and 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 uh, and so I missed it. But my friend uh, Richard Lewis, who played in the NBA for a long time, he he's been to some pretty good parties. I remember right. him telling me that this is the best party he had ever been to, and I said, "Wait a second, you mean like the best party, like?" Like at a racetrack, right? And he's like, yeah. no, 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 no. The best party I've ever been to. And the next year I came and I haven't missed one since. Obviously, it's going to have a different feel this year. Yeah. Um, but w- what is it about that experience? And w- how do you think you guys have harnessed making that such a great party? Well, I can't, I can't take any of, the, uh, I can't take any of the, the glory for it being such a good party. But we've, um, I think when they initially conceived it, it was, a, it was you know, a really big, you know, Highest, highest purse money in the world. It was, it was a real kind of a grab at trying to make uh, Gulfstream and, and what we do uh, visible across the world. Now, obviously, time's gone on and financially that makes no sense. But what they did get out of it was and what they proved, which I love, is that you can start new events. Um, you know, it takes a few years, but you can get a following. And I think, you know, location where you know, location-wise, where Gulfstream is in between, you know, close to Miami, in between Miami and Lauderdale, this, and you know, by the sea, you, know, you get the vibes of Miami Vice. It really is a place that you can have that sort of an event. And we're lucky because even like, if you notice a Preakness, I don't think we always get a, you know, I'll take criticism where criticism's due, but I don't think we always get the credit for some of the events we put on and how, you know, even Preakness, right? We put on crazy, crazy talent. We have crazy artists. Now, not everyone's cup of tea from a racing standpoint, but we do get a bunch of visibility. Um, and I think that'll help us all in the long run. But uh, we, I'm lucky because uh, we've got a really good, like, events team, an experienced team led by a guy called Jimmy Vargas, who's uh, he's, a, he's a Miami native and he's a, you know, he knows, he knows this place cold. So we get the best of the best and we get a bunch of, fun people show up this year is going to be a little disappointing um but uh you know what we miss out in the party we'll make up for in the racing this year so no but it, you're absolutely right it, it kind of morphed into that i don't think it was when they envisaged it it was going to be like you know let's just come up with the best party but i've been told by multiple people that it's the one race track party they look forward to all year yeah it's i mean man the the, the first one i went to was i think the post malone no 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 i yeah, the Post Malone was the first yeah. one. That one was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, I've been like I said, I've been to all the, all of them since. But it was it was shocking. And it's funny because it's always a bunch of like horse industry people at the end, like you know whether oh, it's no. betters or or TV <laughs> types or whatever. We're always yeah. like, 
dude, we should have this every weekend. This is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. and then I love it. And then it's like, give it 48 hours, and it's like, yo, the Strana group sucks. What the <laughs> hell? I'm like, God damn. <laughs> can we get a week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you, you know, you talk about Florida, and, and obviously uh, you transitioning from California to, to focus on the East Coast, and and uh, it's funny. It's like your one of your first uh, one of your first moves in office was a move that I felt like people criticized the hell out of the Stronic Group for for years, and then you make this move, and I just felt like it was kind of ignored, which was eliminating the post drag. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I actually I did get a bunch of people who I really respect reach out and give us a you know say well done for it. I think you know I and I don't take that to heart, bro, because. In my mind, it was such a silly thing. It got so out of control that yeah, I don't think I deserved, we deserved rather that much praise in the end. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, you've done the right thing. Well done, but let's start moving forward. I just, um, I've been really pleased with the outcome. Um, I think it, you know, not that I need it, but I think it made a few people realize that, you know, we do, we are trying. This, uh, we get, you know, the game as a whole and the management of the game as a whole gets, we do get, a bit of a rough time. Some of it's totally deserved, but other times, um, you know, we don't sit in a room and think of how we can make stupid decisions. <laughs> we try and make good decisions. So that was one of those. Um, did it at Gulfstream uh, as a bit of a point prover to show everybody that we're going to try and do this right. Uh, obviously, mandatory days, we're going to, you know, allow a little bit of time to make sure everybody gets on. And, you know, that's half of the excitement. But, you know, we at Gulfstream have got the ability, um, we've got the opportunity to try and really reset the clock and make it the best racing, especially the championship meet around. We've got the weather, you know, there's things we can do to uh, improve the purses. we got some of the best horses and horsemen in the world. So I, I don't see a reason why we can't, uh, you know, elevate it a little more. But uh, you're right, it, it's, um, I, you know, I, I didn't take, I was, I was happy with the feedback I did get because I think it, um, it was one of those things that had gotten a little bit out of whack. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I, I used to, as a better, I, I, I look to see what time the pick five starts. You know, it starts at 324 or whatever it is. And I would set yeah. my, you know, if it's Aqueduct or, or, or Keeneland or whatever, I'll set my alarm for 10 minutes before 324. But when it yeah. was Gulfstream back in the day, I would set it for 324 because <laughs> like, I, I knew that I had some time which, left. Which, which, which I think, honestly, I mean, all of the, I'm sure some of the um, less serious gamblers around where, you know, they, they'd show up and be like, oh, crap, I got to get my bet on, you know, and, uh, you know, there was an element of it being at the top of the list in the ADWs, you know, the next race to go off stays at the top of the list. Um, you know, races to come. So there was always that element. But anyone who, who plays consistently adapted and understood that zero minutes opposed didn't mean that. So the problem, and the, the reason it kind of, believe it or not, Santa Anita played as big a part as any. What would happen is um, they would drag, and then during a weekend, they would try and then stay off uh, other big tracks. So like you get a Naira position, and they try and stay off Naira. And inadvertently, then if Naira was late, you would end up with Gulfstream running on top of bloody Santa Anita. And like, I don't need to explain to anyone on this how stupid that would be. Um, and it happens so many times and it just, it's like trying to be an air traffic controller and one of the planes just doesn't give a shit and wants to do whatever he wants, <laughs> makes the rest of it a little bit kind of, you're gonna land, well, I don't know, there's already a guy landing, okay, fine. So I, uh, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I make a make joke, make it in jest to try and make you know, make light of it. But uh, 
it was really frustrating, especially we're out at Santa Anita. We're trying to, you know, stabilize everything, get the purses up. And good old golf streams running around just chopping everybody off at any given point. So, you know, I, I stabilized that. And um, the industry, you know, especially the Nairas of the world, Martin Panzer, David O'Rourke, Tony over at Naira, they've all been great. You know, they're staying off us. We're staying off them. Um, everybody's trying to hope, especially the bigger tracks are trying to be mindful um, that, you know, we're trying to offer, uh, you know, I guess legitimacy and in, in timing and of our product. Um, Cause that, you know, that's how we're going to compete by, by being legitimate and trying to be transparent and showing everybody that, you know, we're trying to do it the right way. I think we've got a place in the world if we do it that way. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I still think it's worth a joke. I use it often when I'm going to pick up a friend or meet a friend for dinner or whatever, I say, man, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And they say, okay, say, hey, 15 minutes Gulfstream, which means, <laughs> you know, 25. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the legitimacy, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about my conversations with you is, is I, you know, I've always felt like, you know, horse racing doesn't, as a whole, doesn't take itself serious like, say, an NBA, the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, um, you know, FIFA, whatever. What are some of the things that you think are, are, are the, the biggest holes that we miss in this game to make us legitimate, to make us right up there and to be considered a legitimate sport with the rest of all the big ones? I know that we all personally feel that way, yeah. um, but but how do we make the rest of the world, like you said, you know, view us with that legitimacy? So I think, you know, the most important thing we can do, brother, is to, is to line up um, as many jurisdictions as we can and all play off the same rule book whether it's medication, stewards' rulings, uh, crop use, um, we need to kind of be, to, to be taken seriously, in my opinion, we need to align on what they are. Now, I don't want to get into the argument of whether we should be using Lasix, how many times you should use the crop, which stewards are better than other stewards, but until we can kind of, especially with the bigger jurisdictions, get some sort of agreement on what the, what the guide rails are, we're always going to struggle because there's always going to be silly things happen. And I, you know, in my position, I'm, I'm very careful not to criticize because, uh, you know, people in glass houses, right. Shouldn't throw stones, but there are even today, some really silly things that go on. And we've made some adjustments around, you know, what we think are, you know, the best ways to do things. And there is a coalition of some of the bigger tracks who rightly or wrongly are trying to pull together on, um, you know, things like medication, uh, medication reform, but still then, you know, you'll, you'll do that. And then there'll be other tracks not to mention them because this is a, an upbeat and fun podcast, but then they were like, great, we've got an opportunity not to do that. And let's do a bit of a land grab and make some money while the other guys are trying to do it right. So it's frustrating that, uh, you know, we can't get aligned. I think whether people like or loathe the horse racing integrity act, it's going to at least stabilize, some aspects of it which i think you know as long as the industry gets a voice and we can help control what that is i don't see it being a bad thing at all i think we need to align i think it's going to cause trouble for some of the some of the tracks who are going to be unable to um to maybe keep up with the changes but i think over and oh you know above all else at the end of the day um i think the game in the will we'll, we'll probably have a better shot of sustaining if we can have a proper set of rules like the NFL, like the league, like having a commission who can uh, who can stop just random jurisdictions going rogue. And I'm not I'm not being coy. I understand like some of our jurisdictions are somewhat, especially places like Florida, do do have a lot more latitude 
to do what they want. Um, and, and that can be good if you've got, if it's in the hands of the right people making the right or trying to make the right decision, you know, get buy-in from the stakeholders. But if it's not, you can see how things can get upside down pretty quick. Oh, I got, I got one more tough one. Then we're going to talk about full well, stuff like Ragnar and memes <laughs> and, and this and stone, this new love uh, of yours I've heard about. Oh yeah. Th- oh, this yeah. is the tough one. And this one's dear to my heart. This down, I, I need the downhill turf course back so badly. It's my favorite configuration yeah. in the world. Is yeah. there any chance? I really hope so. Um, we are. Well, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like, BS you, bro. The at the end of the day, there was a concern, especially how um, when it was shot, how a horse got injured. Like, there was a concern about the downhill course, and the thought and the theory at the time was, look. Let's, while we're going through every single aspect of Santa Anita to try and make it as safe as possible, let's take anything with a, and we call it a squiggle in England, but anything with like a little bit of, um, you know, a doubt off the table. And we did that. And I think we've proven that we can do things really safely. Um, Now, when we were going back, the downhill course is a technical course. Um, It's, it was used too much, just, just to be blunt. It was used for, you know, every manner of quality of horse and age which is uh as you know um a technical course needs you know, better quality horses and better quality riders um not you know not being mean to any of the uh the you know the, the less uh ones with a lesser win percentage what we did what we did to try and move forward uh, i realized our turf program is really important there and being english obviously turf racing is important to me so i needed to get some decent distances back from a sprint standpoint. The five eight, five and a half. I don't like the race. Um, I don't like that they have to start on the dirt for the five and a half. I don't like the shortness of the five eights. It's it's just you know it's one up from a bloody quarter horse race. And by putting in the new turf shoe, I think we've now got some programmability. Now I'm close with a bunch of the jocks out there. Uh, it's not lost on me that people are like, well, great, we've got a six and a half, but compared to the downhill. Um, it's nowhere near as good. All I'd say is everybody try and be patient. You know, if we can prove we can keep running safely, I think there's an opportunity to bring back, you know, maybe slowly, but bring back some of the better quality uh, races on the uh, on the downhill, you know, just for the sprint. I mean, obviously it's open for the distance, but uh, and then work our way through. I Do I see it being the mainstay used every bloody day? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think it's a very specialized race. But I think if we do it right, that can, uh, you know, the glory of it can be can be what it used to be. It's a really, really cool race. And it's difficult for me to even say what I'm saying to you, knowing where I come from. I mean, we have, we race left, we race right. We go uphill, downhill, under tunnels, like upside down. We got all sorts of wacky racing going on in the UK. Um, so I don't see it personally as being scary, um, but I understand the predicament. And I think being mindful uh, and making sure that when we do bring it back, we do it in a really thoughtful way. So, because, uh, you know, you would hate to rush something back, although I'm sure the listeners are screaming at me saying, rush, it's been years. Um, but I would hate to rush into something and have an accident. Um, and then and then it's probably gone forever. So, let, so let's take right. it easy. Let's get the six and a half back. But I can assure you that from my side, Craig's side, uh, Nate's side, all the guys in San Anita, Amy, and all the horsemen, they all love it to bits. So uh, we're going to try and do our best. That's fair. I just want to know there's a chance, and I'd rather have racing at Santa Anita 
<laughs> than the downhill. So I'm good as long as exactly. there's a chance. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned uh, you mentioned your your relationship with the with the jockeys out there. Uh, you had an opportunity earlier this year to get pretty pretty intimate, uh, sharing uh, sharing a home basically with them uh, during this bubble that you guys successfully uh, pulled off. What, what was that time like? And who was better at poker? Okay. Well, the like when you know who was better at poker, I think it's uh, well documented. I <laughs> we had some great poker nights there, and there was a couple of a uh, couple of guys who took it more seriously than others. But uh, no, we we had some fun. But I, I tell you, it's great. The of all the things I did, and of all the negativity of the pandemic, that is the one thing that um, I got so much value and enjoyment out of. Weird to me, I hadn't hadn't really considered the relationship between the track management. And the jocks, um, they you know sometimes they get a bit of a raw deal. Like no one, none of us is going out there sitting well, sitting on horses. None of us are going out there breezing horses and at like you know 30, 35 mile an hour um, with all the danger that in, entails. Uh, we're all sat in warm offices, staring out the window, criticizing them, right? So I think it was good for me to get um, to get a relationship. It wasn't always you know the first people were pretty critical. But I think when they understood that myself and Nate are trying to make it better for everyone, um, and then they understood the work we put in to get us racing again, I think we got a little bit of bit of a pass. And from that pass, um, we formed some pretty good relationships. I mean, I, I really do have some good friendships with some good jocks. You know, I uh, spent Thanksgiving with uh, Johnny V. Me and Mikey Smith are really close. Drayden, uh, all the lads out there, it's, we have a really, really good rapport. And now, um, because of that, I have a great rapport with the guild, um, like a really good rapport with the guild, especially Daryl out West and Terry um, for national. So some of these issues that come up, it's not an us versus them. Uh, I really do want to try from a Stronach first standpoint uh, to make it better for the jocks. You know, any issue with the tracks, um, you know, hopefully I'm one of the first people who get the call. It shouldn't have to find its way up to me. These guys have all got my cell. Um, and then, you know, like places like Gulfstream, um, Billy's got, you know, Billy's a, a true horseman, right? He's got a great beat with him. So we get great uh, feedback. But certain tracks at certain times, um, management maybe didn't want to hear or maybe didn't think they had to hear. But uh, the jockeys are as important as any aspect of the game. Some would argue more important. And from a risk-reward standpoint, I mean, you know, they put more on the table than almost everybody, brother. So I, I, I love i got a good relationship with them. Ain't always that friendly. They can be pretty, they can run pretty hot. Um, and sometimes they don't need me coming in and, uh, and poking or asking questions about stuff. But um, for the most part, uh, if there was one thing, one takeaway from the pandemic of a positive for me, it was that I've got, I think, as good, if not better than most track operators. I've got a really good relationship with the guild and with the jocks. And if there's anything I can do to help them, I always will. So you got the best of them in poker, but the word on the streets is you did not get the best of them in karaoke. Now nah, they, they can really sing. Some of these guys are like, I mean, honestly, I'm, if I've said to the one, if I things don't work out, I'm going to become a manager of like a some sort of jockey singing league. There's some real talent in that room. Um, but then there's also a few who wouldn't put the mic down. So uh, if you watch the documentary we did at some point, uh, we're going to unplug the bloody speakers. It was starting to become a bit of a drone, but yeah, no, there's some, they're really good guys. They really are. There's some real personality, and I guess you got to, uh, like anything, you got to have a, you got to be a little bit, have a little bit of a personality to want to do that for a living, you know. 
you touched on a little bit earlier about uh, getting more involved with the horseman side of it, and you, you've you uh, got a new friend by the name of Stone. Tell me a little bit about Stone. Yeah, yeah. So I um I got out there, and you touched on it yourself, but, like, I wasn't particularly accepted, I think, you know. I showed up, weird English guy wearing a hat. Uh, early in the mornings, everybody was like, you know, what is this guy all about? But I, uh, I put the hours in and hopefully I got, garnered a little bit of respect from at least work ethic, if nothing else. And then it dawned on me that, you know, I've got I've got good friends who are trainers, right? You know, Dan Blacker, Simon Callan, Georgie. Um, and, and as I started to go through some of the trials and tribulations we have between the track and the horsemen, I, uh, you know, I, it was better to put yourself in their shoes. So, like I said, I kind of thought I was pretty well versed when it comes to gambling and at least the mentality of gambling. So I knew what that customer wanted. I thought, you know, trying to offer better customer service for the owners from at least, a, you know, a day out and, you know, what the kind of the reward is for winning a race. Um, but I really didn't have much of a, an understanding of, you know, what it took to keep horses going, you know, how much work they are, what they cost, the trials and tribulations. And we've got a very, very good um, vet, chief veterinary officer, Dr. Benson, um, and, you know, so I'm a, one good thing about me, I guess I'm a bit of a sponge. If, I, if, if something takes my, you know, takes my vision, I'm kind of, uh, or takes me staring at it rather, I, I'm kind of um, all in for a while. So I started asking a hell of a lot of questions. Then I adopted an ex-racehorse uh, by the name of Cannonstone, ran once at Keeneland, tailed off. Um, I, I passed the message through. I'm lucky. Uh, Stacy, who's Mike, Mike Rogers, is one of our executives. Stacy is the executive director of the TAA, and I asked her if she could help me find a, a racehorse. And I said, you know, I need something really calm. I want something really big. And if I can, I want something, you know, as close to jet black as you can get me. So they got me a horse that was a complete lunatic of a three year old. Uh, it wasn't black, and he wasn't even that big, but kind of fell in love with him. Um, and then, and then, the, and then the trouble starts, right? He got colic after going for an expensive colic surgery. Then he came back. Then he got colic again. Um, so this poor guy kept trying to drop down dead on me. But uh, that was the best learning. That you know, you go through how how delicate animals are and other life forms are, and how silly things can can kind of put them offside. And now I'm uh, I've now got three horses. Uh, Stone being obviously the OG. He's my favourite, and he's actually a pony now. He ponies in the morning. Um, for, for, for actual racehorses, so he's got a, a proper job. Um, and I got another couple, and I'm I'm kind of a Jody, who you know is my right hand. She uh, she kind of constantly tries to block me adopting more horses, but he, I've kind of got the bug now, so I'm likely going to get broke at some point and just be like a bit of a pony hoarder. You're going to be like one of those crazy cat ladies. Cat ladies. You're going to be everywhere. a crazy, a crazy exactly. uh, uh, horse guy. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. Exactly. Exactly, but that dude. I mean, anyone who, um, anyone who got the time or a bit of spare cash, like they are, they are such lovely animals. And uh, you know, unlike, uh, and I'm, look, I've always been an animal guy. I got a, I got a bulldog who I love to bits. Who kind of is a, a guy around Santa Anita. Other than he entered the Santa Anita Bulldog Rally and got beat, so that was that was a big disappointment. I'm obviously not much of a dog trainer, but anyone who's got a bit of spare cash or a bit of spare time have a look at the aftercare because um, fundamentally these animals do as much as they can, as much as they're asked. And uh, it's, it's the, it's the one thing if I could change anything, the, you know, in the game that all of us in it have a little bit of more, be a, be a little more mindful to the, to the animals that allow us to do what we do. And at the end of the day, you know, don't ask them for that last race. Um, 
and try and um, try and get them into a job that they love. I mean, my my horses are lucky; they're absolutely spoiled to death, right? There must be twenty members of staff at Santa Anita who feed them on a daily basis: carrots and peppermint. So they're really spoiled, but um, they all deserve a bit of a bit of love. I mean, it ain't just unfortunately it ain't just the good ones. The good ones normally people want to have. Uh, it's the stones of the world who uh, really weren't good racehorses, but they are they're really rewarding if you get one. Jody also tipped me off to your love for uh, for memes. What's your what's your style? Are you are you one well, of those, I, are you are you like always sending them to friends? How, uh, what's your yeah, meme style? It, I don't know what the hell. I'm, I mean, at my age and in my job, I mean, I really should stop. But I pretty much communicate with most of my team via memes. Um, it's just become an easier an easier way. But yeah, no, I I got some good ones. I'll put you on the uh, I'll put you on the list if you like. But believe it or not, Belinda Stronach's pretty good with memes herself. She's got some good ones. Oh, they're the best. It's, it's the best way to communicate. <laughs> it really is. It Especially really is. if you're angry with someone, it's yeah. uh, it's a it's a softer way to tell them that they're an idiot. I just I did. I'm like I don't know what it is with me. Like I, I wake up in the morning and like I'll get up early, early, right? Uh, but I get up and I'm like, there was at least five minutes seeing if there's any memes I'm missing. So uh, I should I guess I probably gotta gotta get that out of my system. But it uh, you know I guess staying young at heart is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Christmas is another one that I, I hear you're a man of Christmas. I don't know what it is. Like, I just, as I've got older, I guess, like, you know, you get older and, you know, I lost my brother, I lost my mother. So you start to, you know, you start to always have fond memories of things in the past. And Christmas was always a, uh, you know, the best bloody time. So um, I overdo it. Like, I really overdo it. This year was so disappointing to me. In fact, I had a couple of days of downright depression after uh, because I felt that, like, Christmas had been wasted. And my wife actually, uh, she called me out on it. She said, you do realize you said to me the other night that, you know, you only have so many Christmases left. Like I was being like such a child. I only have so many left, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. So, uh, no, I do. I do make a big, big scene about Christmas. In fact, this year was obviously a little bit of a bust, but, um, last year I cooked Christmas dinner in the director's room at Santa Anita for about 30, 35 people. So a bunch of trainers, vets, uh, spouses jockeys it was a really uh really really cool christmas and uh i've always uh, i love being the kind of the home for waifs and strays uh, i guess it was a thing when i was growing up my mother always uh invited people over for christmas so you'd be some random weird uncle show up who no one knew and he probably wasn't even an uncle but he was just somebody who uh somebody who i've, I've probably lost all his money to my dad so we feel at least give him a christmas dinner <laughs> <laughs> actually that's just dawned on me as i was telling you that story i'm like Actually, I think that guy was one of my dad's big punters, and I think he had a bad run. And then he started showing up at the house a bit more often. So, yeah, no. But my mum used to. Um, my mum was very kind in that way. She would, uh, you know, she'd always have people over if they didn't have somewhere to be. They should have Christmas with us. Did they do? Did they do credit back in those days, or was it more? Of yeah, a... yeah. But dude, that was the whole thing, right? It was, um, you know, being a credit bookie. We have, you know, in England there are some laws that protect the gambler. Like if you can't afford to pay. Um, you don't have to. I mean, you get you get signed out. You get kind of banned from betting, but uh, none of the bookies will give you credit. But that the credit business was the big thing, and I always joke. Um, it's like you have to give people the thirty second credit rating when you're talking to people. If you give someone too much credit, they're not going to pay, and if you don't give them enough, they'll go elsewhere. So yeah, we had a fairly big credit business, and I, you know, from between the age of probably eighteen to twenty three. When I didn't, it wasn't when I wasn't actively being a bookie at a track. I'd go and um, it's called putting on. I'd go for some really big other bookmakers to a track just with you know a 
I've got a lot of credit accounts and a big pocket full of cash. And they'd call me and I'd put on for them. So they'd be phoning me during the day, asking me to, to put bets into the ring, um, sometimes to kind of shorten the horse up. So if they're, if you think about it, if you're a, a little racetrack, and I'm sure you guys all know this, but if you're a little racetrack uh, you know, in England somewhere, you can move the market with a, with a short amount of money. You don't need huge bets. So if you're a big bookie with 50, 100 betting shops, OTBs, all using the odds coming from the track, for a few thousand bucks, I can make those odds a lot better for the bookie. So I used to be a bit of a trader in the, uh, on behalf of, uh, of these other people too. So, you know, it's, um, it's a really, there's some cool, I do miss it back then. I do miss the way the game worked. Um, but it's, you know, like everything else has to evolve and we just have to try and make it evolve in the right way. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you know there's always this call for this call for fixed odds betting, and and I do see how it can work in in our country um, alongside the paramutual model. But one of the things that I I think that we are missing the boat on in terms of fixed odds is offering wagers that don't exist right now. I mean, yeah, I would love to be able to bet if Mike Smith's going to have more wins than you know, Johnny V at the Breeders' Cup. Yeah. Uh, you know, those types of fixed odds bets that, that that still bring interest, but they don't take away from the paramutual and they don't confuse that. Not that, And I think there's a way to do it, don't get me wrong, but I think that the, the, the people that are against it, it's an easier way to kind of get them over the hump. No, and, and honestly, bro, like you can, I, some days I am one of the people against it. And it's not because I don't think it's a, a better form of gambling. I think I said to, uh, when I first joined the company, I was like, look, you do know fixed odds is going to come at some point. And a few people kind of argued with me at that point. But um, I just worry, right? Our, our industry is reliant, especially in certain jurisdictions, completely on the way the paramutual handle is whacked up between the track, the purses, and the industry funds, right? So if you just start to replace that, unless you can guarantee huge handle growth by attracting new betters, you could be offside. I'll just give you one example um, without boring everyone. If you take a place like Santa Anita, where you know the in the, it's it was very well thought out. You know the track gets and the track and the horsemen get a, a big share of it. The ADWs don't get as big as they do in other states. The problem with that is if you try to replace the you know the takeout that the track, the industry funds, and the horsemen get, there's no way you could offer a fixed odds market on them. You just couldn't because they take out a huge percentage. So. When I give the example of what happened during the pandemic where all the money shifted to ADW and that actually put a few industry funds offside because I'll give you another example you guys may or may not be aware, but things like Stabling and Vanning in California are funded pretty much completely by on-track and bricks and mortar wagering. So they get a piece of that handle. Um, when that stopped, we nearly had two training centers put offline. And you can see how just a little change like the money shifting from just on track to, sorry, bricks and mortar to ADW, that nearly shut down the whole training and vanning. So I, I'm, we've got to be very mindful when we, when we, you know, if we try and replace it, that we do it in a thoughtful way. And um, you know, not being rude to any of the bigger books, but you know, their concern is, is you know, driving, uh, driving revenue and driving handle and not necessarily as well versed on the intricacies of what would happen should you, you know, move the money out of the uh, out of the industry funds? And there's a lot of different, a lot of different funds in a lot of different jurisdictions. Again, all different. There's not 
you know, out of the three states we operate in, none of them are even close to how they operate. They've all got different little subtleties. Um, so there is, it's going to be difficult. It ain't easy just to do a one-size-fits-all. Now, you speak to um, speak to the bigger books, and they're adamant they can get it done. Um, but we just got to be mindful. So love what you just said. If we're going to do it, let's do it to offer things that aren't necessarily available and engage interest. Um, and at that point, it might be a might be extra revenue, might be better for the purses. Um, so th- there are ways to hopefully do it, but I'm I'm just a little, mm-hmm. I know, I walk a lot about it a lot. I'm just a little nervous that you know we do something that makes obvious sense on a piece of paper. Cool, give the customer what they want, give them fixed odds. Um, it's better value for the for the better, and it is. Um, but I just I hopefully the game doesn't fall apart in the meantime. Yeah, because to be fair, I, I, look. I thought the roulette bet was a great idea, but it's a, you know, there's a two side proposition to it that with that takeout wouldn't allow it to, it wouldn't allow it to thrive because yeah. there's just too much takeout, you know? And, and, yeah. and, uh, and so, you know, I just, I think that there's another way to go about it and a way to try to make it work, you know, because if you want to attract the sports better, I think it's actually easier to let them hook on to things that are closer to 50, 50 propositions anyway. Yeah. Yeah, match betting. I mean, we do, my old man back in the day used to do, you know, match betting. Sometimes it was favorite against the field. Sometimes it was the favorite in the third in against the field. Sometimes it was literally a, you know, whack whack down the middle of the runners and have, you know, like four against four. So there are ways to do that. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, with the roulette bet, it was, it was, it was interesting because I, I was, I was unfortunate. I was the one who you know, ended up putting the, uh, you know, putting it, uh, putting the nail in it. And, your point's well heard. It, it's really, the, the gamblers are sophisticated, at least I'm sure most of them are. When the ones will be listening to your podcast, I've got some ideas of how the, you know, the, the kind of the game is kind of put together, the nuts and bolts. And, you know, when we did this, um, you know, the golden hour bet uh, at San Anita, myself and Nate, the first thing was, look, we need a bet with a lower takeout. Well, at some point, um, you know, if you've got a threat of fixed odds, and the threat of, you know, that may be messing around the paramutual part of it. Why wouldn't you look at, is there a happy medium? Can you drop the takeout and do it in a way that the industry doesn't shake itself apart? Do you get better, you know, do you get better volume by dropping the takeout so the more sophisticated wagers see it's a better bet? It's no different in, in essence, than high volume players getting rebates, bro. You know, it's, it's the same thing, you know, if they feel they've got a better chance of winning, They'll bet more, and you'll attract a, a different sort of wagerer. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's um, the takeout piece. I mean, the joke I always make is, you know, parimutuel uh, is pretty. The sanctity of it's a really good idea. It's a pull. It you know, set, you know balances it out so you can see anything going wrong, any shady business. You should have visibility to it. It's not like fixed odds where the betting can be done and it never registers. You should see everything that goes on, and then at the end of it. The winners get the pull. Now, if there was no takeout, it's an amazing form of betting, right? There was zero takeout. It's about as good a form of wagering as you can get. Obviously, it doesn't give you the ability to pick a slice in time, but just as a general betting medium, it's brilliant. Where the issue becomes is when you start to really raise the takeout, um, and every you know every point you add to the takeout, it becomes less and less good. When you get twenty and north of twenty, it's it's tough to make that pay. Um, so. I don't think paramutual's dead. I think we just maybe need to rethink it. And uh, I love that you've said that to me. I could waffle on for hours. And maybe some of this is complete. Crap, <laughs> no, no, it's no. Just, uh, it's great. It this kind is... of, uh, you get it, you get, you know, context like a, 
little bit of a look into how my head works and how the people internally work. We have some great debates. Um, we have some big bust ups and arguments about it too. Um, mine is my biggest, my biggest one at the moment I'm arguing is don't worry about the fixed odds. If the, you know, cause fixed odds bookies will make the, make the statement, Hey, we will, um, guarantee X amount of you know, X amount of hold for you. So you guys, you know, guys will make money. I'm like, what happens when you actually put fixed odds in a competitive market? And the, what happens the first time a bookie, you know, lays even money to a big amount of money and that horse ends up one to five, that guy's over broke and that can, will kind of consistently keep happening when you do fixed odds. So I don't know how long, uh, I don't know how the bookies are going to deal with that, but um, I was never that good of a bookie, so I'm sure there's smarter people out there than me. But I just did. There's a there's a bunch of questions that don't have good answers to, and I ain't uh, for my for what little bit of say I've got, I don't want to see this thing get blown apart on my watch just because we thought it sounded like a good idea, you know? Yep. And and obviously this is a a, a crazy week for you, so I'm, I I got a couple more, and then I'm gonna let you get going. Yeah, dude, it's all good, it's all good. Uh, it's nice, it's nice not to get like shouted at by you. I'm quite happy just to have the nice kind questions. Oh, dude, hey, look, <laughs> here's the thing. But yeah, I, I, I I'm a big believer, and I've texted you before. I've been upset know, about yeah. things, and I think I it's I'm a believer that it's much easier for me to go to the source than it is to try to show Twitter that I'm smarter than everyone else by pointing yeah. out a mistake that an institution yeah. is making. Uh, it's just that it doesn't, it doesn't get anything. doesn't help you. It makes you, I love, nah, dude. Just and, and you know, and, I, and you know, I love it. And I think I, I wish a few more people were like that because this, I mean, look, as, as smart as I'd like to think I am, I ain't that smart and I can't keep that many things going. So I, I'm not like, I'm not a, I don't know all. So when you reached out the other day about the will pays on the, uh, pick six at Gulfstream, I was like, I, I kind of, I didn't believe you. I was like, ah, come on, you're kidding me. There's got to be, <laughs> and then I asked a couple of questions. Um, and it's uh, in that instance, there was a scratch so that, you know, they didn't ever want to put out the will pays because they wouldn't know who to pick as favorite. Right. And so to calculate them, you need to put in where the rest of the money from the scratch was going. But when I looked at it, I'm like, well, there was, I think it was, I'm thinking back, I may be wrong, but there was like a solid two to one chance. You know, next in was probably, I don't know, four, nine or two. So when you got closer to the race, I, I personally would have taken the risk and calculated it, but I understand why they don't. Cause you know, the, the first time they calculate a will pay based on a favorite and then uh, or where the money went on to the favorite and there was a kind of a change, there'd be uh there'd be hell to pay. But yeah, like I, I, I appreciate you really, really do brother. And I'm only joking. I love it when you reach out and I love it when you tell me there are issues. Um, and believe it or not, I've, I've got some of the best tweaks I've made. I've been like criticisms on Twitter. Now, I ain't suggesting I want everybody to bombard me on Twitter, but like I've had a few people say, hey, this is, hey, at Aiden Butler, this is complete horseshit. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of horseshit. <laughs> Are you like, and it's as simple as that sometimes. And I'll pick up the phone and I'll be like, why do we do this? I'll dig in. Sometimes and a lot of the time, there's a very complex set of reasons why we do what we do. And, you know, it's not an easy fix. But, um, you know, for the most part, if it's an easy fix and it makes sense, we'll just do it. And so don't ever, uh, please, uh, hey, I love hearing from you anyway, uh, so don't ever stop reaching out. But I, uh, if there's anyone who's actually got constructive criticism, I'm all ears. Um, calling me a <laughs> and the rest of it that they get called on a daily basis, not so much. They can, they can keep that opinion to themselves. As right, right, as, they, right. as right as they all may be. I'm going to give you my, my three fun suggestions when, when the world opens back up to get the world, uh, to get the racetrack experience to be a little bit better. I want to see what you think about these. Tell me the problems you see here. Go on and go All on. Right. 
What if you could turn in a losing ticket for a, a for a little plastic solo cup of cheap beer at the racetrack? You know, you get a couple Brilliant. of cans Brilliant of Keystone. Idea. You turn in a losing ticket. I don't care if you pick it up off the ground. You get a cheap beer. I mean, obviously, you got regulations with giving away alcohol, but do you see any problems with this working? If it was illegally, if you could do it, it's a brilliant idea. I've always been critical, and it, again, it's easy to be critical of something you, you know, you you, you just inherited. Uh, but you, know, you go to Vegas, which I, you know, before pandemic, I often like to do. You go to casinos, I, you know, I love going and playing, sitting on my own and playing blackjack for a few hours. Um, you get a free drink, right? They, like you know, you you cherished as a customer. I'm not going to talk about the scientific part of. Gamblers having a drink get a little more loose, um, which because that's obviously not the intent here. We don't want people to lose their money, but it's about the customer service. So if you could find a way to do it responsibly, why the hell wouldn't you? So that's a good one. All right. The other one is although although with the losing tickets, I, I have that many losers. I've been paralytic drunk most most hours of the day. It also helps with it helps with cleanup. <laughs> it helps with cleanup because people won't throw them on the ground anymore. There were some exactly. Well, I mean, let, let's let, let's join into the fact that. If you knew how much money tracks spent on the paper that we on tickets, you would you it would blow your mind how much paper we get through. Let's talk at some point about is there a better way than just having millions and millions of pieces of paper all over the place? Probably is, but not for this day. I would guess so. All right. Um, here's my other one. I've always thought that, and I know at Goldstream there's no admission, and and I I don't I haven't I hadn't been to Santa Anita. It feels like in forever. I think March was the last time I was there when I actually stepped foot in there. But what if admission was twenty dollars, but you got a twenty dollar voucher in return? Yeah. So Nate, actually, we've talked about this at length because the you would think you know just the metrics of selling tickets, no no sales price you know, or no free tickets, rather people will show up or more people will show up. Kind of doesn't work that way, right? There is there's this inherent value to paying for something because if you pay for it, it's, it's intended to be good. But I think little tweaks like that way, you know, you can preload a ticket or maybe you pay 25 bucks, you get entrance, a $20 betting voucher and something to eat and drink. I think those sort of packages are great. I think where we've struggled as an industry is how to market them well. Well, with the, like if you dig in, brother, like Nate's team at um, Nate, Nate's GM now, but Nate's team when he was the was was the marketing guy at Santa Anita, they had some really good, thoughtful stuff for the customer. It just it a it never got out across all of the tracks, which meant it uh you know it had a, a limited audience, and b you know sometimes it's difficult to market and get just get it out there in general. So I think it's uh things like that are far better. I think you know having a players club um. And really having a rewards, uh, a real rewards program is, is a complete no-brainer too. And I know that's on our docket, especially it was pre-COVID, to try and work out if you're a customer of, you know, not even forgetting the fact of the ADW, just if you're a customer of the track and you're into horse racing, um, you know, offering some real value for, for your loyalty as they do in casinos, as they do in bloody airlines and rental cars and hotels. Um Seems like a bit of a no-brainer, um, but like everything else in life, execution is the uh, is key. You don't execute it; it ain't worth the idea. One of the things we always say on this on our airwaves is we we vote with our dollar. Nothing makes me more angry yeah. than when a bet a new bet is created that makes sense. It's horse player friendly, and we don't participate. It drives me insane because then the racetrack yeah. say, "See, it didn't matter. It no one cares. They yeah. don't care. It doesn't matter." Um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of people around, bro, who just 
don't, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the betters. I'll talk about the, the track. There's a lot of people around who think all of the stuff I talk about is absolute crap. Like, mm. I don't know what I'm talking about. And maybe they're right, right? But, like, never any harm in trying. Never any harm in trying, especially if you're trying to do things for the better of everybody, including the horses, and you're trying to kind of make, you know, make the thing a little more, feel a little more modern and thoughtful. But um, now there's a lot of people who, who don't, don't subscribe to change. And then to your point, there's a lot of people around, let's just be fair, it's on every side, who are just pretty bloody negative, right? They don't really they don't really mean anything. They, you know, this is so you change it and then they just go on to some other criticism. So you can't let it get get to you too much. But um, I think going back to the original point, if we can get good feedback, um, I'll promise I'll listen. I really promise I'll listen. I can't always do it, but uh, I think that's the way we get better. Um, so yeah, I don't, whether we start a coalition of the of the kind tweeters and we'll start like passing good intel around, uh, but we'll try that. But um, yeah, no, it's a um, there's a, there's definitely definitely room for improvement on a lot of these things um, and room for room for us all kind of pulling together to make it better as a whole. All right, the last one, and my and my boss Tony Alavado is not going to like this one. What on. if we had ten minutes between races instead of twenty five? It's it, like this is me and Tony. I'm close with Tony, as you probably know. I love him. He's uh, me and him get into some good, uh, good tangles together. Um, and for those who don't know, Tony's kind of my counterpart for, for New York for Naira. Um, I think there's too much racing, right? So fine for me to say that as we're a group with lots of bloody racetracks, but uh, I think there's too much. I think if you could stagger and program it better, I think we'd maximize. The, the quality of the, of the stock, and I think we'd maximize the handle that we get. Um, it's it's tough, and it's unfair in a slight way on, on the littler tracks where you know they're, they're trying to do what they're trying to do. And if we used uh, a model of you know putting that much break, that many breaks in between races, you would go with the bigger tracks, right? You would go where the handle is. You'd go where there's more customers. So it's unfair on the littler guys, I think. Um, but from a programmability and just a, kind of a, just how the sport would look optically would be so much better. It just would. I mean, I think you could have a really nice programmed out day. Um, even myself, and I, and, I, and I gamble, right? So the amount of times I'm kind of looking at a race and then there'll be another race on top of a race, and I'm like, what the hell? And, I, you know, it just, just is a little too much sometimes. But, um, again, a little unfair for me to, to say who should be able to do that and who shouldn't, considering we're, uh, on a lot of days, we're four of the racetracks running. Aiden, I, I man, I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, I know it's a busy week, and and uh, and, and you don't know this yet, but I think we're going to talk maybe in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Pete and I have been working on a bet with with our friend Steve Cook that uh, at the Stronic Group that we're gonna we're gonna talk to you about real soon. So I appreciate you taking the time, and and if I don't talk to you before Saturday, bet on tax. Will do, my brother. I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll be betting on a lot of different stuff. <laughs> we'll get there. I appreciate you and uh, all the listeners. Um, you know, good luck, be lucky, and uh. Let me know if I can do anything. All right, Aiden, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. You're the best, brother. Take it easy, bye. Look, I, I, I got to be honest. You know, uh, I low-key want to have his voice. I mean, it's just kind of exciting, right? I just feel like he could be a bad guy in a movie really easily. Uh, you know, it's it just, look, I think it's great. I think it's great. You know, all jokes aside, I, I um, I'm glad that we got to uh, to have Aiden on to to talk a little bit about his background, and and I hope that that uh, the listeners uh, understand that I think we're lucky to have um, in this game to have people that 
in, in his position that understand the better, that are of betters, that, that and I, and I, and I hope that we also have patience with them that, that, that they also have other allegiances and requirements that they can't just be all for us. They, you know, they got to represent the horsemen and they got to do what's best for the companies that they work for. But I think that we're in a better position having people that understand us. Uh, and I say us because I'm assuming that most of you guys are horse players, um, understand us. And, and I feel the same way about, you know, he had mentioned Tony Alivato, who, who is, is my boss at Naira and who's essentially uh, kind of his counterpart uh, for Naira. And, and Tony is a guy who uh, is, is familiar in the space of wagering. And, and I think that that helps. It goes a long way. I think Tony was pretty heavily involved in getting the 20 cent um, jackpot kind of paused for a second at Aqueduct to get some information about if, if it's going to be better with or without the jackpot aspect. So I think that, that sometimes those things can get lost. I remember hearing Mattress Mac talk at the uh, symposium a year or two back. And he said that it's one of the things that he notices as a problem with racing is that at the top, there's entirely too many like attorney accountant types. Um, you know, how can we not get in trouble? Uh, and how can we pinch pennies? And it's nice to, to, to have people like Aiden and like Tony that can, uh, that can, that can, you know, be creative and, and market our sport in a creative way. And then also try to grow the sport, grow the base and, and make, uh, make the customers that are already there a little bit happier. All right. Sorry. I'm rambling. I got a handicap because it, this is a nutty week. I'm on Fox Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Pegasus on Saturday and, uh, Stronic five carry over on, on Friday. And so me sitting here talking to you is doing us no good. Um, I want to thank PTF. I wish he would send me some of that ragu, uh, that, that he ate and didn't share. Um, and I want to thank Drew Coatney, our, our CFO. I want to thank, this is starting to get dicey guys. We got a lot of shows now. I want to thank, uh, Maddie ice, Matt Bernier show, Naomi talk racing to me, Spencer, Red Bull rewind, uh, Billy and Michelle, the owner's box, Acacia in the ring. Am I forgetting somebody? I don't think so. I know I'm going to at some point and then I, and I don't care. Deal with it. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. A lot of stuff going on in racing. Uh, like I said, uh, there's the Pegasus contest. If you haven't signed up yet, make sure you get involved. Uh, I think Tyler Ferraro is handling a lot of that, but I think you could probably uh, get busy online. Um, the Stronic 5 carryover I mentioned, uh, like I said, uh, on Fox this weekend. Oh, we've got Oaklawn opening day on Friday. On, on Fox, we've got, I think on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to be doing a little bit of Tampa, a little bit of Oaklawn, a little bit of Fairgrounds, and of course, Aqueduct. So we got a lot going on. So I'm going to stop talking and let you get to handicapping too. See you next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche. There's five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them and talk up their body. Another one body that's
nose and act like a rookie so they overlook me they're not double up again none of their nose none of them cold they just got lucky but never adapted so i'm feeling one that's just coming to blows my enemies cutting it close i let them think that they got me but what do you know i had them beat before we ever spoke i'm ready for smoke i need to know everything who in the what in the where i need everything trust me i hear what you're saying but act like it's new what you're telling me i'm curious george i hop in the porch if i've been a horse i'm ready for war i'm coming for close to turn to a ghost i need to know everything now they ain't go harder than me they need a blade and a sheath a shank and a piece a crate for the heat an army a fleet a tank and a jeep a navy a sea with ace of marine an ace up his sleeve a team of marines a freak on a leash a beast with an appetite raises for teeth and still they will lay at my feet boy you got the wrong I gotta look over all of my publishing statements for Q1 as soon as the song's done. I gotta call up my mama and tell her I made it as soon as my log's done. I gotta read all my trade publications and sit my teeth till it is all done. I think it's all fun. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but act like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the porch. If I've been a horse, I'm ready for war. I'm coming for close to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but act like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the porch. If I've been a horse, I'm ready for war. I'm coming for close to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything.